you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's some back here on the blue, on the table. There's some blue Bibles. I'm sure Joel can hand you one. If you if you need a Bible, just throw your hand up in the air. And Joel Lashane needs one right out down down front here. Anyone else? If you need a Bible, don't be afraid to ask for one. Um, but we'll be in Luke chapter 12, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning. As you're turning there, let me um, just pose a hypothetical question for you. What if I told you that um, for the rest of this week, there would be some people that are going to follow you and and videotape your every waking moment, and then next Sunday we're going to set up the screen and kind of just watch it and see everything that you do? (laughs) How would you feel about that? Do you think that that knowledge, the knowledge that someone is walking around and, and kind of recording everything that you're doing, would that, would that change how you live? Would that change how you react in circumstances, maybe how you speak to coworkers or to your spouse or to your kids or to your friends? Do you think it would change the things that you do or the places that you go or what you look at? I think it probably would. Uh, reality TV has given us a slight glimpse into what this looks like. Uh, the individuals on reality TV probably act a little different because they know they're being filmed, and, and a lot of it is scripted. But scripted, uh, we know this. There's, there's these moments, right, where they just we're watching people, and, and people obviously they, they just forget that there's cameras there, and they, they act in a certain way, not remembering that in the not-too-distant future, Homes around America will be tuning in and, and seeing what they do. Uh, it's interesting. And as they forget that the cameras are rolling, we do the same thing. Uh, and our text this morning is going to remind us that, that so often we forget that there is a day that's coming when everything is going to be revealed. We will all be exposed. There's a day when we will stand before God, and this is the God that knows and sees all things. I don't think there's going to be video screens. I know people have hypothetically thought about this. I don't think when we get to heaven that we're going to watch a movie of our life and God's going to critique that movie like Siskel and Ebert or something like that. Um, but I do believe that, that God knows everything. He knows everything that we've said, everything that we've done, everything even that we have thought. And if that's true, shouldn't that change how we live? <laughs> If it's true that God knows all things and one day there will be a day of revelation, shouldn't that change how we live? But the reality is, just like these television shows, sometimes we we forget that God sees everything. We are aware of the the eyes around us, maybe when we're at church or at work or at home, we're aware of the people that see our behavior, but we often forget about God's all-seeing eye and all-hearing ear. My friend Todd Morikawa said the greatest lie that we believe often is that we are alone. We are never alone. We're, in Luke 12, 1 through 12, Jesus is going to remind us of something. He's reminding us that, that all is going to be revealed. And then he encourages us to think and to act in certain ways in light of this truth. So he tells us this. He says, all will be revealed. So be afraid and do not fear. That's what Jesus says to us. He says, everything is going to be revealed. All will be revealed, so be afraid, but do not fear. It's interesting. He's going to ask us to do both of these things. 
And as we speak about this day of revelation, we're going to think about it in two different ways. We're going to think about it in terms of revelation in the present. There are times in, in life where, where who we truly are is revealed for all to see. And there also is a day coming, a judgment day, when for every single person in all the world, throughout all of history, everything will be revealed. And in light of these moments of, of revealing, um, Jesus is telling us to ask ourselves, how should, how should we live in light of the truth that everything will be revealed? How, how should I think about God and others and, and my life if one day everything is going to be known? This may sound like a scary sermon, right? Everyone's a little nervous. Don't worry. I don't have any camera crews that are going to follow you around next week. But, but Jesus' words to us, are, are they should be sobering. They should cause us to reflect. But he also intends them to be encouraging. They're a reminder to us of the reality that, that we often forget. They're intended to wake us up. But they're also intended to encourage us, to strengthen our hearts, to, to give us courage that all is going to be revealed, and so we should be afraid, but we should not fear. Let's look at this passage in, in Luke 12, verses 1 through 12. Remember, this is following just on the heels of Jesus' teaching about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the lawyers. Luke 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let, let's get, let me give you just kind of a brief what's going on here in Luke 12, 1 through 12. But we're really going to key in on some, there's some commands that Jesus gives. So just notice these commands. Verse 1, the end of verse 1, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That's, that's one command that we're going to look at. Um, the, the next one is, is in verse 4, do not fear those who can kill the body. And then he says in verse 5, But fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. And then in verse 7, Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And then in verse 11 at the end, Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself and what you should say. And I think all of those commands are springing from the heart of this teaching, which is in verse 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. So everything is going to be revealed. Therefore, these are the things that we should do. 
Notice the scene, first off. It's interesting, isn't it? So many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. Can you envision that crowd? Again, we can think about something like Thunder Over Louisville there on the waterfront. Just masses of people everywhere. And they were, they were, there are all these people, and Jesus turns, as it were, and begins to say, to speak to a certain audience, and the audience is his disciples. He's speaking directly to the disciples. And so this is a teaching that's directed primarily to these followers of Jesus Christ. So just notice those two things there in in verse 1. And remember, the heart of this teaching is that all is going to be revealed. And so if all is going to be revealed, we should should do something. We should act in certain ways. We should think certain ways. So I'm going to give you six things. If all will be revealed, then we must this. Alright, so here's the first one. If all will be revealed, then we must beware of falling into the lie of hypocrisy. Beware of falling into the lie of hypocrisy. You see that in verse 1. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And we talked about hypocrisy last week with the Pharisees and the Lord. And we said that it is play acting. It's pretending to be something that you really are not. And we considered the deceptive nature of our, of our hearts that we can fool ourselves, we can lie ourselves, lie to ourselves. And we focus so much on the outside. To look good on the outside, to look like we've got it all together, and inside we are wicked. And Jesus says that the key is not to focus on the outside, but rather to be changed from the inside out. To allow the Holy Spirit, to allow the light of God's Word and the light of Jesus to come in, and then it will, as it were, overflow out of the cup of our lives and cleanse the outside. So we are to be changed from the inside out. And Jesus exposes the ugliness of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. But that's not enough necessarily just to to keep the disciples from doing it. So Jesus is very explicit. He says, beware of falling into the lie of hypocrisy. He calls it leaven. Leaven, the, the thing that causes bread to rise. Maybe you make bread, I don't know. Not many people make bread anymore, but it's, it's what goes in there and allows the bread to be, to be fluffy, as it were, filled with air. And so the leaven gets in, and the idea here is, is that it's something that's, that's subtle. It, it, it subtly and completely permeates something. It, 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 hypocrisy, it, Jesus is saying, is a sin that, that sinks in and it affects every part of us. It, it fills our whole body. So we're to be filled with the light of Jesus, but hypocrisy will sink in and, and fill up our whole body with this wicked, this wicked lie. And so in order to kill hypocrisy, Jesus is going to get right at the root of it, right at the source of what makes us hypocrites. And it's this lie that no one will ever know. No one will ever know what's truly inside. The, the lie that we can keep the truth of who we really are hidden. That we can fool everyone by showing that we are clean on the outside. But Jesus makes it clear that everything is going to be revealed. There's times where we get a glimpse of this, aren't there? Where, where there's a revelation about, about something or someone. We can think about public figures, politicians, even sadly pastors who have lived some kind of a double life, a life that was clean on the outside, but on the inside it was dead. And then one day, everything is revealed. A story is leaked, a witness comes forward, a hidden camera catches them in their hypocrisy, and everything is revealed. Just as a side note, you know, often people cite that as a reason why they can't trust the church, why they can't trust Christians. You know, there's, there's just the church is filled with hypocrites. 
But notice here, I just want to point this out. Jesus isn't a fan either. Jesus doesn't really like hypocrisy. And, and so if, if hypocrisy is something that's keeping you away from Christianity, realize that the founder didn't like it either. And so we as Christians sometimes maybe aren't the best representatives of who Christ was, but recognize that if you don't like hypocrisy, you're in good company. You're in good company. And also, I would just encourage you, as you're looking at the hypocrisy in other people, don't forget about the hypocrite that looks at you in the mirror every morning. We all have a little bit of hypocrisy in us. Don't let that keep you from looking at who Jesus really is. You know, there's hypocrisy that's revealed in this life, but if it doesn't happen in this life, it most certainly is going to happen in the next life. There's an interplay between the present and the future here. Nothing is covered up now that won't be revealed, or hidden now that won't be made known. What you've said in the dark now is going to be heard in the light sometime in the future. What you've whispered in private rooms is going to be proclaimed on the, on the housetops. There's a day of judgment that is coming, a day of revelation, a day of light, when everything is, is brought to light. The thoughts that we thought everyone was blind to will be put on display for everyone to see, and the, the words that we whispered to others that we thought no one else heard behind closed doors. We were so sure that no one else heard it. God did. He says they will be proclaimed on the housetops. That's scary. <laughs> In some sense, these things will be made public. Nothing is hidden from the all-seeing eye of God. That's a sobering truth, but Jesus again intends it to, to wake us up from the deceptive lie that no one will ever know the truth about us. It's meant to kill the fear of others that leads to hypocrisy and to replace it with a fear of God that's rooted in the reality that one day everything is going to be known. If everything is going to be made known one day, hypocrisy is a sham. What is the point in living a life of hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is hard, isn't it? It's hard to try to look clean on the outside when in reality you are wicked on the inside. It's hard to not confess the sins that are in us. It's, it's, it's really hard to be a hypocrite. And Jesus is saying, why would you even do that? It's all going to be revealed one day. This warning pushes us again to this future revelation. But it's, it's a call to rest. It's a call to again to take the yoke of Jesus and the light burden of Jesus, to not seek acceptance with God through deception of Him or of others, but rather to admit, admit that you're a sinner in need of salvation. To, it's, it's, it's as it were to tear open the chest of our lives and to, to let, expose our hearts and to let everyone see, I'm a hypocrite. There's hypocrisy in my heart. And to allow God to, to, to find salvation in Jesus. Jesus is the one who lived always in the light. He was the light. He never failed. He died for us to, so that He could kill the, the sin and the death that takes over our lives. The, the freedom that Jesus offers us is to seek to be made right with God, not through the fakery of hypocrisy, but through faith in Jesus. Get rid of hypocrisy. Are you living underneath that weight of hypocrisy? Are you tempted to always put on your best mask and pretend that you've got it all together, that you're the picture of, of holiness before others? Are you afraid of others more than of God? Is there anyone who really knows who you are, who knows your struggles, who knows your pains? Don't live this double life. It's all going to be revealed. One day, either, either now or, or in the future, all will be revealed. We need to live lives that are, that are open. Hypocrisy is isolation. Hypocrisy it doesn't let anyone see what's going on inside. 
We as the church should not be hypocrites, but rather we should be this place where it's okay not to have it all together. It's okay not to be okay that we would be willing to talk about the sin that's in our lives. Not in a way that's celebrating it, but just in the reality of it. And not only that we would confess our sins to one another, but that we would confess our failures to God. Because we're not fooling Him. <laughs> he sees it. He knows everything. And He's just concerned, he's concerned about what's going on in our hearts. So why do we lie? Why do we hide in this lie of hypocrisy? I think it's, it's rooted in at least our fear of others. Fear how people might treat us. Fear how they will think about us. But Jesus tells us that our, our fears and the things and the people that we're afraid of are, are twisted. So all is going to be revealed. So beware of the sin, of the lie of hypocrisy. And if all is going to be revealed, here's the second thing. Don't fear people. Don't fear people. Don't fear men and women. Look at verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that have nothing more they can do. I don't know if anyone in here has someone that's trying to kill them right now. That'd be kind of scary, wouldn't it? If someone was trying to kill me, I would be a little nervous. (laughs) I'd be scared. What does Jesus say? Don't fear people that can kill the body. Part of this is, 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 is actually a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to the disciples. It's what Jordan was pointing out to us in Acts chapter 4. And, and remember that, that Luke is writing to this man Theophilus who's looking at the church and trying to figure out what's going on with all this persecution that's happening in that day. And he says, there's people that are dying, there's people that are suffering, what's, what's going on here? And Jesus here, we see that he, he predicted the present situation. He says that there are people that will want to kill you because you are a Christian. And so he is encouraging, he's offering encouragement to the disciples for something that will happen in the future, and to people in that present day who are facing persecution. He says, don't fear. Don't be afraid of people that can kill you. What's the worst that someone can do to you? They can kill you. Who cares? <laughs> That's essentially what Jesus is saying, because it doesn't matter if they can kill the body, but can't do anything to your soul. And I think this, this extends to other things too. Even if we're not facing physical death, these, these things would cause us not to fear anyone about anything. It, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If we're not gonna, the, the worst thing that someone could do to me is kill me. Well, don't fear them because of that. So then why would I fear them about anything lesser? There's, there's nothing to be afraid of. The worst they can do is kill you. So why would you fear anything else? Well, they're going to make fun of us. They're going to throw us in jail. They're going to not like me. I mean, there's so many things that we're afraid of people. And specifically when we're speaking of witnessing about Christ. And he's saying, this is the worst they can do to you. Don't be afraid of that. And so therefore, don't be afraid of anything else. Because fear of others is, is very debilitating. Fear of others will keep us from doing a lot of things, and it will, it will cause us to fall into that lie of hypocrisy. Either that lie of hypocrisy or the sin of silence, of never telling anyone about the truth of what Jesus has done. So do you fear others, what they can do to you? Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't fear any person, because if we are in Christ, death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. And so he tells us who we should fear. In light of the coming revelation, fear God. Fear God, he says. Verse 6, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It says it twice. Why should we fear God? 
because he has authority. All these, if someone wants to kill you, they, they can't do it without the authority of God. God is the one that holds that authority of the giving and the taking of life in general. But then beyond that, even if our life is taken, we should fear the one who, after we have died, has authority to cast into hell. As I was reading this, I just thought of just a, a side note. This is the ugliness when, when people tell other people to go to hell. Or they speak of damning someone. Those words aren't bad because they have four letters. Those words are bad because do you understand the gravity of what someone is saying to someone else when they say, go to hell? That's disgusting. And not only that, but it's taking the place of God, something that only God has the authority to do. Don't talk like that. Don't put yourself in that position. If that's something you you maybe did, beware of that. Jesus says, only God has that authority. How foolish for us to say that flippantly. So we should fear God because death is not our greatest enemy. What's the greatest enemy of our souls? It's unforgiven sin. If we die without knowing the forgiveness of our sins, if we die without having an advocate, without having someone to stand before God on our behalf in the person of Christ, then we will stand before God on this day when everything is revealed and we will stand by ourselves. There will be no one to stand with us. And when all is revealed, we will have nothing to hold on to. The, the, the story of our lives will, will condemn us. The fear of God most often in Scripture means a reverential respect for God. But there has to be a sense in here, doesn't there, that you should be a little bit terrified of God. A little bit scared of who this God is and what He can do. Let's not get flippant. It's ironic that in this very same passage he says he calls us friends. But let's not run there too quickly. Let's remember who God is, that this is a God that we are to bow before. We are to recognize that he holds the key of life and death and hell. And that one day Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire and all who believed his lies will go with him. God is not a God to be trifled with. If all is going to be revealed before this great and awesome God, we should be afraid. And we should not fear. Right in the very same paragraph, Jesus says, Fear not. Remember how he began this section, verse 4, I tell you, my friends. Again, it's one of only two places where Jesus calls us his friends, and he makes it clear after that that there is no need to fear God for those who know him and are known by him. Let me be clear on that. There's no need to fear God if you know him and are known by him. We had some friends visiting from out of town, and we went to Churchill Downs yesterday and kind of walked around and saw some horse races, and we did a little tour of the facility, and they take you upstairs, and you can see all the fancy rooms where people with lots of money go. And they took us up to Millionaire's Row. And so we were there with with Norma, and uh, she was our tour guide. And and I I walked through Millionaire's Row with my shorts and T-shirt. I had all my mess of kids in tow, and I had a stroller filled with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we walked through Millionaire's Row and stood out on the balcony and watched, uh, what was it, Q2 win race five, wire to wire. He led the whole thing. We sat there. Now, if I had walked in there on my own, I'd have reason to be scared that someone was going to come up to me and say, what in the world are you doing here? But I was with Norma. 
Norma from guest services. And she told me I was allowed to be there. And so I stood on that balcony with no fear. And if someone would have come up to me and said, you're not supposed to be here, I'd say, talk to Norma. She said I was. There's this sense in which with if, if we know God, then on that great day of revelation, it's not Norma that's standing next to us, obviously, but it's, it's Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the advocate. And we have nothing to be afraid of because Jesus has taken that penalty for our sins for us. He stands in our place and he is appealing to God the Father, accept this man, accept this woman, not by what they've done, but by what I have done in my perfect life and in dying for them. We must fear God, but we must also not fear God in an ultimate sense, because He knows us. But, but isn't this even deeper than that? It's not that just, just that God knows us. What does He say at the end of verse 7? Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is going to argue, not from the greater to the lesser this time, but from the lesser to the greater. So sparrows are sold five for two pennies. So I would think that they're probably two for one penny, but if you buy four, you get the fifth free. Right? So there's this this idea of, they're cheap. Hey, you get four, we'll give you a fifth one. I mean, sparrows, are they're worth nothing. And there's probably, I mean, imagine how many sparrows were sold in the temple for sacrifices every day. I would think thousands, you know? A lot of sparrows. And God cared for every single one of those sparrows. Well, maybe you feel less value than a bird. How about your hair? He says, every hair on your head is numbered, which is more impressive for some than for others. (laughs) Maybe every hair follicle that you ever had, I don't know. So every hair on your head is numbered. He knows all the hairs on your head. And, And if he cares about sparrows and hairs on your head, he cares about you. That's what he says. Are you of not more value than many sparrows? In light of the the coming revelation, this is encouraging. All will be revealed, but you are valued. And God loves you more than the sparrows and more than the hairs on your head. He values you, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the encouragement. God is for you. God is pulling for you. Maybe this week you felt like everything was stacked against you. That you that, that know this, that, that God in Christ is for you. He's not, he's not looking at our lives trying to find something wrong. He's, he's on our team. I mean, he's, he's cheering us on. If we are in Christ, we are valued. Don't let his all-encompassing knowledge make you think that he doesn't care. Because he cares. You are valued. God is, God is for you, and, and, and also that you are valued. If you feel discarded, if you feel ugly, if, if you feel rejected, if you feel worthless, know this, the God of the universe values you. You are valuable to God. God is for us, and He values us, even though He knows everything about us. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He knows it all, and it's all going to be revealed one day to everyone else, but He knows it right now, and He values us, and He loves us. How? In Christ. Because of what Christ has done. He is the advocate before us, and therefore we are acceptable to God. In light of the coming revelation, beware of the lie of hypocrisy. But don't fear others. Fear God. But don't fear God. 
And, and also, in light of the coming revelation, fear that day of revealing. Fear it. Have respect for what that's going to be. Verse 8, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Notice, just in passing, that's a claim to deity on Jesus' behalf. He's saying, I will be there. If you deny me, then I will deny you. But, but notice too, I think that what he's saying here in part is that faithfulness now is in part a revelation of our standing before God later. Does that make sense? So our faithfulness now, it doesn't earn our standing before God, but it is a revelation of our standing before God later. And it's rooted in verse 11. This whole thing is rooted in verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, this is, the, uh, I think, the day of revealing that he's talking about. When, when we are brought before others and asked to be a witness for Christ, will we acknowledge him or will we deny him? And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples. Remember who's sitting in that crowd is Peter who denied him three times and all the disciples ran away. So what does that mean? I think it means that God is a God of grace for sure. I think it also means that this isn't sort of a one-time thing. If you ever deny me before others, I will always deny you before my Father. But rather, it's, it's the pattern of our lives and it's to remind us, listen, if, if we're not willing to boldly stand for Christ... It may be a revelation that on the last day he'll say, I I never really knew you. You never really acknowledged me. When times got tough, you were choked out by all these things. It's a scary thing to to think about this. You know, I have to just throw this in there. I I don't know, you know, maybe this sounds like I'm sort of adding it on because we believe in baptism, (laughs) baptism. But isn't that partly what baptism is, is an acknowledging of people before men? Some people don't want to be baptized. It's not because they're scared of water. It's because they don't want to acknowledge Christ before others. They don't want to make that break and say, yeah, I really am a Christian. I don't know. These words should, should kind of strike us a little bit. If you won't acknowledge me before others, I won't acknowledge you before my Father. Now, and in the midst of this, what do we do with verse 10, right? I'm running out of time, and you think I'm going to deal with the unforgivable sin? It's one of the greatest questions of the New Testament, right? What is this whole unforgivable sin? He says, if everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the, the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Let's hash that out tonight, but let me give you a few thoughts, all right? I thought that'd be fun for us to, let's just try to understand this whole unforgivable sin thing tonight. That's your comeback tonight. Um, But notice here he says, the Son of Man, if you speak a word against the Son of Man, there's really no difference between speaks a word and blasphemes. In parallel passage, it's it's the similar idea. So that's not the key to unlocking the mystery here. He says, speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Let me give you a thought. Let's talk about it tonight. I think that maybe it's the idea of further revelation. So Jesus is here as a revelation of the Father. And if you reject Him in this moment, there may be an opportunity for you to be forgiven. But when the Holy Spirit comes as the full revelation of who God is, as, the, as, a full, as a witness to who Jesus is and the authenticity of His ministry, if you reject that, the full revelation of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit that's witnessing to your heart, if you reject that, 
There is no opportunity. There, there is no place for forgiveness. You, you're not. There's no opportunity to repent and believe. You're rejecting this full, beautiful revelation of all that God is. But in 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 saying that, let me also say this: it's not just sort of a one-time blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That that one time you say something terrible against the Holy Spirit, well, that's it. It's all over. This is rather, I think, a a settled opposition to Jesus and the witness of the Spirit. So much so that I think it's rooted, and it is in the other passages, back in where where the Pharisees tell say that Jesus casting out demons, he was doing it by the power of Satan. That the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is this settled opposition to Jesus, so much so that you're willing to say Jesus is Satan himself. Or the Holy Spirit is Satan himself. I mean, th- there's, there's something going on there where you are so settled against Christ that there is no opportunity for forgiveness. Because remember, the disciples did deny Christ. But there was opportunity for forgiveness. So this is something different than simple denial. And I agree with so many that have said, if you're afraid this morning that you've committed the unforgivable sin, then you probably haven't. If that's something that's in your heart, it means that the Spirit is working in you. Repent and believe in Christ. There is opportunity. We looked at the men of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba. The men of Nineveh are a beautiful example that reject, reject, reject. But when Jonah came, they they listened and they repented. And God relented of his anger and saved them. We should fear this day. And yet also, finally, we, we don't need to fear the day of revealing. So fear it, but don't fear it. He says there that in verse 11, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So there's this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that is unforgivable. And yet, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that if we're brought into that situation where we stand before rulers and authorities or where we're questioned about our faith or where your co-worker asks you a tough question or you're put into a corner about are you really a Christian because they're all jerks and hypocrites, that in that moment, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. So don't be scared. Don't be scared on the day of revealing, that revealing when it, when it shows up and, and whatever the synagogue or the officials are for us, that we have the power to stand in the Holy Spirit and God will tell us what to say. We get so scared, remember? There's a day of revealing and that day of revealing may be when we're sitting across from, from a family member or a friend or a co-worker and we have to tell them what we believe, that we are a Christian. That may be a scary thing. Jesus says, don't be afraid of that. Because in that moment of revealing, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. I think we should step in in confidence into those situations. We, We step into them in fear. Hold on to this verse. When you go into work this week and you get scared about what the consequences might be for you sharing your faith, don't be afraid. Don't get anxious about that. Holy Spirit will help you know what to say. And all of this, I think, points to the ultimate day of revealing, doesn't it? There is a day when we will stand before God with the angels gathered around. There will be a day when everything is revealed. Everything. And, and, if, and if we have lived lives of hypocrisy, if we have lived lives that feared other people more than God, if we have lived lives that denied Christ before men and that were filled with settled opposition to Christ, then we should be terrified of God. Because there is no one, there is no advocate for us that we we stand on our own merits and therefore 
We have nothing to stand on. All we have is all these things that are going to be revealed and they will condemn us and God will condemn us and say, I never knew you. But, on that day of revealing, if we have placed our hope fully in Christ, then when everything is revealed, it will also be revealed that God is our Father and that He is for us. It will be revealed that that Jesus values us and He valued us enough to lay down His life for us. And I believe even in that moment, even in that, that moment when we stand before God on this great day of revealing, even then that the Holy Spirit will help us know what to say before God Himself. The Spirit is with us. God is for us. And if that's true, if everything is going to be revealed, then shouldn't we live as children of light? Shouldn't we live in the light? Let's just open up who we are. Let's not live in hypocrisy. Let's, let's have a reverential fear and even some terror of who God is, but also let us not fear God. He is on our side. He is for us. He is our friend. He is our Father. In Christ, He is our advocate before God. And when we stand before others, let's not be fearful on the day of revealing. When someone asks us what the reason for the hope within us is, or asks us if we're really a Christian, don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit is in you, and He will help you. So, all is going to be revealed. Do you, you realize that? Everything, every, every word that we say, every thought that we have, everything is going to be revealed. So be afraid. But do not fear. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's word and then I will pray for us. Father, we we thank you for being a loving God that's willing to tell us hard things. Lord, how how unkind of you it would be if you didn't reveal these things. If you didn't tell us about this coming judgment. We had no clue it was going to happen. But you tell us. You remind us. Lord, thank you for Christ. That in him we can stand. We can know that you are for us and that we are valued. That you know us. We don't have to fear that coming day of judgment. We can in fact look forward to it. Rejoice when all things will be made right and we will stand with you for all eternity. Lord, help us to live in light of the coming revelation. Help us to live in light of the the truth that one day you will come and, and all will be made known. Let us live as children of light, God. By the power of your Spirit, let us live as children of light. Thank you for the power of your word. We pray that you would allow it to continue to Sink down and and bear fruit in our lives. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.